All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the live Proud to Work in Cannabis. It's the first day ever that we're doing these live, so we're super excited to have you here today. Nick Vita is the co-founder and CEO of The Cannabis. We've got the, the, all the swag on, formerly known as Columbia Care. I can't wait to talk about the rebrand. I absolutely love all of all like the new name, the new logo, everything. So I can't wait to get into it. But uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and being here in Vegas. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we were just trying to think about, you know, Las Vegas basically a decade ago and how different <laughs> uh, the trade show was. But, you know, for you being here in 2023, you know, so far, what are the major differences that you've seen this year than in the previous years of MJ BizCons? Because it's been a journey. Well, it's, you know, this is like the end of a phase, meaning we had a really sort of busy phase, I want to say, years ago. And then we've obviously had a couple of false starts on the regulatory front. Um, and I think that's been disappointing to people right? because everyone has such high expectations for the industry and for the opportunity and for the, for the community impact. Uh, and we haven't gotten there yet. We, I think we've been moving and making progress. Um, but with the rescheduling conversation happening, um, what I've seen is that it is as busy this year as it's been any year. And it's not just busy from the standpoint of companies. It's, there are a lot of new faces, a lot of new companies that are trying to get into the industry, a lot of new vendors. Um, and so what that tells me is that from a leading indicator perspective, um, there's momentum coming back into cannabis, which I'm really happy to see. It's, it is definitely refreshing because I feel like even last year at the MJ Biz, you kind of walked around and people were a little sad. It seems like this year there's definitely some optimism, definitely some energy. So it's, it's refreshing and it kind of reminds me of like, 2016, 2017, 2018, yep. 2019, and it was like everyone was so fired up. I've been saying to our team, because some people joined like in 2022, like when things weren't the best. I'm like, no, 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 guys, it was really, really fun, and we're about to get back to that point. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is, it's interesting because I think the, the, the cyclical nature of the industry makes the fun parts that much more fun. Um, and for what it's worth, you know, if, it, if it was just as easy as everyone thought it would be, right, it wouldn't be that rewarding. And the fact is that like, we've been through cycles. We've, been, ha- we've experienced disappointment. We've experienced like, real elation. Um, you know, think about it. We're the only industry I know of that where you have to be a farmer, you have to be a manufacturer, you have to be a retailer, and you have to have wholesale. Right? It's the only industry I know of where you have all that. You're, sort of, you're an emerging market in the United States or globally. And on top of it, you're federally legal. And so when sort of the biggest stick in the world, the U.S. government decides, hey, you're not so bad after all, that's a reason to celebrate. And I think that's what we're hearing right now. And that's why people are starting to sort of, re, you know, sort of bring, their, bring their mojo back into the conversation. Love it. And we're going to get into all of our predictions for 2024 and beyond. But I want to talk about you. This podcast is an awesome opportunity for the industry workforce, the people yep. that are here working for all of our business to get to know you, who is a leader and a pioneer in the industry. So backing up to before you st- decided to start this business, what was your career like? And then can you walk us into how in the world you had the crazy idea to start a cannabis business? Like, I think people that start a cannabis business, there's a little something off with them, myself included. <laughs> so we want to know what you were doing before. It's definitely a little bit, bit, bit of masochism in there. Um, but the so I worked in finance for years. Um, I worked at some very large in- investment banks. I worked as an investor, primarily in healthcare. And um, I convinced a couple of friends to make an investment into a cannabis idea that wasn't yet a company. Now, what I would say is that this is probably the first trauma I ever had professionally. Um, but the person we thought was going to run the business, turns out um, he was not a particularly ethical person. Uh-huh. And so the vision that we had, which is let's find somebody who really understands sort of how this business 
works from a regulatory perspective, fell apart very quickly. And two of, um, <laughs> two of our investors were Ben and Jerry, um, the ice cream guys, who are the most lovely people in the world. And, you know, they've got a colleague named Chuck, and they've been incredibly, incredibly strong supportive of ours. And I remember, like, the first month that we had sort of accepted capital and started deploying it and building out our business, and our first mark was actually Arizona, but our first license was in Washington, D.C., I had to call them and say, hey, you know, we had a bit of a hiccup. And they kind of laughed and said, you know what, this happens with every business. And so don't... They sent you some ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Feel better. I, I definitely eat my feelings. So that, that, was, <laughs> that, was, a, that was a good move. Um, but it was remarkable. And, you know, through it all, I mean, like the number of stories I have, you know, I tell people this, every single step of the way was an exercise in just persistence and discipline. I mean, when we were, when, when we were first opened, I used to have to go around and look for a ATM that would dispense in fives. Because wow. like, we were funding the business on such a tight shoestring. I didn't have $10. Yeah. And I, you know, if, you, if your account goes down to zero, they shut you down. So being in cannabis, I was very sensitive to the fact that I actually had a personal bank account. Eventually, Chase did shut that down. Um, but, the, but the fact of the matter is like, we were like, doing everything we can to keep the business moving in the right direction. And, and, and people what, made what a lot of sacrifices. What state did you launch in? Oh, gosh. So our first market was D.C. Right. Our first, first market to open was Arizona. So okay. Tempe, Arizona, um, Tempe or Prescott, Arizona was, was our first market, um, our first facility that opened on the retail side. Um, and then we had cultivation. We were always fully integrated. So we had sort of the, 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 the panoply of, of, of operating models. Um, but, you know, I moved from, I originally lived in New York. So I moved from New York to D.C., from D.C. to Arizona, from Arizona to Massachusetts, from Massachusetts to Illinois, from Illinois back to New York again. So I literally followed the regulatory sort of, conversation around the country right and i would not advise anybody to ever do that um it was it was, it was awful uh, you know it's like I, I i think my friends thought i'd gone completely insane um my parents certainly certainly thought i did um but it was how you had to do it right because um, no one was going to do us any favors and we you know the business wasn't going to just fall out of the sky and so i did a lot of sleeping on couches and you know in arizona i lived in basically someone's guest house for for i want to say eight months um in dc DC had to move back in home uh, with my parents, and you know, my mom and dad thought I had gone completely off my, my rocker, and told all the neighbors and my high school friends that like, oh, you know, he's upstairs asleep in his high school bedroom, right? <laughs> so I basically became like the family bum um, for quite a long time. Um, that's one of the things that's funny that people talk about. It's like everyone's an overnight success 15 years later, <laughs> right? It's like people see you and they see the cannabis and they think like. This guy just must be a genius, and on day one, everything went according to plan. They don't see you moving back into your parents' house, sleeping on couches throughout Arizona, but every single entrepreneur has that story. Like, I have yet to meet one entrepreneur <laughs> that everything just, like, fell into their lap. I mean, oh it is a shit ton of work, and I think that's, like, what people uh, don't recognize when, when starting any kind of business. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is god-awful. And, you know, but, like, why would anyone do it? Uh, well, but we'll, get to the, we'll get to the positives. Yeah. <laughs> why would someone do it? You know, I think a lot of people in hindsight, um, it becomes addictive. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, like, think about it. We, we've been through COVID. We've been through the financial crisis twice. We've been through, you know, like every single thing you don't expect to happen has happened over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just life. And I didn't, I was completely, you know, had my head in the sand. I didn't realize that was the way the, sort of the, the world worked. But I, like, in addition to being federally illegal, in addition to having an incredibly difficult operating model, in addition to not having access to the capital markets, credit cards, whatever, like we had all these other things happening. You had it too. Oh, and yeah. you remember like what it's like to sit there and think to yourself, okay, so now you've got all these people that are waiting for you to make the right decision. 
to try to stay true to your values, to try to build an organization that matters, that's interesting to be a part of, in an industry that should be incredibly exciting to be a part of, right? And then, but the world just keeps on pushing back on you. And it's hard, right? It's, 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 the, it's the best part and the worst part about being part of an organization from the very beginning. So as you guys have grown, obviously, I don't think you're sleeping on couches anymore. What, what, at, at, at what moment did things start to click for the business? And was there, you know, so, sometimes, I, I, for me, I can actually think to um, MJ Biz 2016. And so we were only a team of four people, and we only had $25,000. And so to go to this thing, oh, yeah. MJ Biz, we had to spend five grand on the booth. It was we literally stayed at the Gold Coast, which is like the worst hotel in America. I swear to God. The ceilings were caving in. We were all sharing a room. And I was like, guys, we're spending all of our money. If we don't leave here with at least five or ten clients, like this business is over. But I think we can get enough business to do a million dollars next year. And like in my head, when I think about like what the moment was, we got like 38 clients at that MJ oh Biz. My gosh. And that made us, you know, more than exceed our goal in 2017. So like to me, when anyone asked me like, What's the thing that went right? I'm like, you know what? It was MJ Biz 2017. It's like not to plug MJ Biz, but it really was. Yeah. Was there like, I know it's maybe not for everyone like a definite thing, but like did something happen where you're like, shit, we have a chance here? So um, look, every time we won a license, it right. was like a massive like psychological boost because yes. everyone told us like, you can't build a business of cannabis. Like there are no national players. You're, you know, you're going to go to jail. Like, my, 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 like, you're I gonna mean, go to jail. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it's everybody. like a dark. Yeah. Other... Hey, by the way, I know you think you're doing the right thing, but you're actually gonna go to prison. Like, yeah, that's, like that's, that's crazy. not that sweet. So, <laughs> um, I think that of all of the moments where I felt like life had changed, and this is gonna be super ironic because, as it turns out, it may have been one of the worst financial things that ever happened to the company, but it was the most important, like, paradigm shifting moment. We were always a bit like the bad news bears. We never had enough money. We never had enough like bodies. We never like we were on like literally like sleeping on planes all the time just to try to keep the plate spinning and make sure everyone was doing what they're supposed to be doing, like because we were building it as we were driving the bus right. down the road. Um, but on uh, when we won the license in New York, right. that was a big deal, huge deal. I because remember it's, that. It's New York. It's like you know large, one of the largest cannabis markets in the world. We're like we are off to the races, bingo. Um, now and what just for context for the audience what. Year and in time oh, so frame was this? Uh, 2015, we won the license. January 1st, 2016, we opened, or January 4th, early January, early we, op- January. we opened the first dispensary in New York State, in New York City, which is in Manhattan. Yep. And like, we had like 5 billion views, I mean, like an absurd amount of like eyeballs, whatever those statistics are. Yep. I don't know what they mean yep. anymore, but yep. like, the, it, like, it was a it was really a big, big deal. It was a big deal. Yep. And I was like, I was super proud, and we had, we'd done everything right. Uh, and then New York decided to like slow roll their program, and it's been like the Baton Death March. And we now we're finally about to have our first adult use sales this uh, actually in December. This, this so little, talk about like what is that like eight years later? Eight years later, you gotta eight be years patient. later. Here we go. You gotta be patient. Yeah, you gotta be patient. You gotta be patient and persistent, and never give up. Um, and there are a lot of times when, uh, gosh, I could if you if we sat down and you went year by year, I could probably find one of those moments in each year. But for some reason, New York really matters a lot because mm-hmm. there have been people who were better capitalized, who are certainly smarter than I am, uh, who had spent a lot of time trying to sort of be a part of the process. And we just you know we ended up sort of threading that needle the way it needed to be sort of thread, so that we ended up getting selected. And it was a it was a remarkable moment and a testament to the team and a testament to sort of the tenacity of of, of everybody who was there to help us and. I keep on, I always say this, 
we had help from a lot of people, right? right? I mean, people who were just intrigued by the business, who didn't necessarily want to get involved with it, but they were like, you know what, we understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that, you know, help you par- be a part of that journey. So it was, um, gosh, there were so many moments, um, so many moments. I mean, like, there are particular people who joined the firm, and you were like, this is amazing. And then there were particular moments when we opened a door somewhere, we were like, this is amazing. Um, it's, it, 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 it's, it's sort of a, a weird type of addiction, right? Because, you're, you know, through, through all, the, all the complexities of the business, you still have those sort of, those, those crystallizing sort of um, events that, that just reorient you back to what matters most for what you're trying to build and what that vision should look like. One of the really cool things about you and actually some of the other um, MSO leaders is that you're the founder and now still the CEO. So like I think founder-led businesses are, I think like once you, once the founder leaves, I haven't seen like too many crazy success stories, right? And a lot of times you bring the founder back. Like I think about some of the businesses that I like admire so much, like Airbnb, Brian Chesky, like like some of the the most iconic businesses there, founder-led, the founders in it, you know, Brian says that the biggest mistake he made was trying to delegate too much and being too high up. Like he's yeah. in the weeds um, and it's a founder led business and you can feel it. Like when you open Airbnb, you're delighted every day. And I think that has something to do with it being such a founder led business. It seems like you are in it with your team. Like you're here at MJ biz. I saw you walking around yesterday, going to meetings, like sitting down with me. Like um, how much do you think like being a founder led business and you being there in the weeds with your team has helped you guys succeed so much? Well, look, I, I mean, I think we both have been incredibly lucky to be surrounded with the people that we work with, right? It's, it's, it's amazing how much trust and support and just mutual admiration you build over time, especially going through the things that we go through mm-hmm. in any business, building any company. Mm-hmm. What, one of the most proud moments for me was when I recognized that the company was a living, breathing organism, with or without me. But the thing that I have I've always been very proud of and very grateful for is that in spite of the growth we've had, in spite of the way the business has changed, everyone knows what we're trying to be. And we're not perfect, right? We don't right. always get there, but we always come back to what we think is baseline. And the, the, what I can bring to conversations is an experience we had in 2013, an okay. experience we had with a, a regulator in 2015, like a conversation that took place with XYZ politician mm-hmm. you know, eight years ago, or with you know, a, a, an operational failure or an operational sort of decision point. And that's something that you can't fake. Like, and it's not trans, translatable. So if you've built a business, you know, and one of the things I've really wrestled with, my inclination at, the, at first was, let's go find people with really big branded resumes. Oh, let's yeah. go find people who can, who've done it at you know, XYZ gazillion dollar company. And they come to our business and they're like, oh my God, this is <laughs> way, way more complicated than they thought. And by the way, my budget is like 1% one, 1 of what it used to what be. What it used to be. Like, how do, I, how do I do all this with what you're giving me? And you're exactly. like, you just have to, right? You have to. You have to have people who have tenacity, who have, have like a degree of hunger and, and interest. And then like a, 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 it's an element of, of sort of internal drive because they just want to build something great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I, I love the fact that I've been able to, that, that I'm still in the role that I have. I won't always be here. But the fact is, I think by the time I no longer need to be here, it's because the business will have grown enough so that the institutional connective tissue that I bring to the conversation is no longer necessary to sort of never forget some of the hard lessons we've learned in the past. And the culture that you established yeah. early on. Um, there's so many, there's like a million directions that I can take this conversation. I want to get back to the 
people a little bit and your, yep. you, you know, your, your point that you just made. One of the things that we learned at Vangst was very similar to what you just said around. I, I, I categorize them as big company people. Yes. And so we raised our Series B. We raised this $19 million Series B. We were so proud. You know, you have to work really hard between the Series A to get to the Series B. And you know, our investors were like, you guys got to go hire people from Indeed, ZipRecruiter, <laughs> all these places. You have the money to do it. Go. So, like, I was first-time founder, and in my heart, I was like, you know, I like the culture that we have right now, yeah. and I'm, I don't know if these big company people are going to, like, really fit in, but our board, these venture capitalists, were telling me this is what we should do, and I guess I didn't know what I was doing, so I did it. So we went out and hired, you know, ridiculously expensive people from Indeed, yep. you know, all these places, and then... They came in and they were big company people and then they brought their big company people with them. And all of a sudden, last year around this time, I woke up and I was looking around banks and I felt like a tourist CEO. I felt like, yeah. literally, I would go to someone and I would say to them like, hey, you know, how do we want to think about doing this? We got to hire like six people. Or yep. like, you know, and so- Bodies isn't always the answer. And so we, I always say that was our closest to death experience was hiring, and it's not bad, these aren't bad people. These are yeah. great people, but they're just, they're not early stage yeah. Company people, um, you know, Indeed is a you know ten $10 billion dollar business, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, we had to like unwind, it and it was so painful. But it was a good lesson in what I look for in people to be at Vank. So I'm curious for you with the cannabis, what do you look for when you're hiring your team? What are those traits that you look for? Who are the people that are going to be super successful when they come in the door? And like, what do you and your team look for as you grow? Because you're always adding new people. So. Look, everything you just said is a lesson, you know, is, is part of the lesson set that I've experienced personally. And I, I, can't, I can't tell you how hard that moment is when you realize, because you, you have it people really around sucks. who you trust. It's, it super sucks, right? You have people around you who you trust, who've, who've made a bet on you, and yet you're also being asked to sort of, sort of change the way you do things, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it may not be the right moment for it. And I think that's very hard for someone to see from the outside looking in when you're not involved in every single day-to-day, -day, you know, moment. Right. And so, you know, I, I look for people who, like, first of all, I don't, I don't, like, I'm glad if someone went to school. I'm glad if someone had experience. But what matters to me the most is, like, when something goes wrong, are they going to pick up the phone? Or are they going to be there? Right. When something goes wrong, are they going to crumble? Or are they going to say, you know what? We can do this better. Yep. When something goes wrong, or when something goes right, can we do it better? Are they being objective? Are they, being, are they interested? Are they, are, they, are they trustworthy? But not in, a, in an integrity way. I expect everyone to have integrity. A trustworthy in that, like, I'm falling flat on my face right now. And I'm going to need you to pull, like, pull a rabbit out of a hat. Can we do it together? Mm -hmm. right? Or is this, is, is this the rabbit out of the hat that we need to pull out? And so it's, it's a, you know, I, I've just always been very fortunate to be surrounded by people who took an interest in helping to mentor me. But that mentorship, what I didn't realize was a partnership. Right. And, you know, it's like there's not a single person on the, on the team who I interact with who I wouldn't lay down in traffic for because I have that much respect for them as individuals, as professionals. And I'm not looking for, I mean, you know, like when I worked in finance, they're like, oh, look, look, where did you go to school? And right. did you get your MBA? And yeah. it's like, I couldn't give, like, I, I worked with those people. They're great <laughs> for some things, but yeah. that's not what who I need. Well, who right. I need is somebody who's going to wake up every day and grind it out and do, do their very best and remember that we are in the service-based business. 
We manufacture products that have to be manufactured well. They're going to people's bodies. We serve people day to day at the point of sale. And then there's, let's call it the corporate structure. And the corporate structure in my mind exists to support the people in the facilities. And the people in the facilities are the cultivators, the manufacturers, the, basically the, 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 you know, the bud tenders. Mm -hmm. well, whatever term of art you want to use, it's an inverted pyramid. And so for me, you know, I, I, we went to dinner last night. I went to dinner last night with some colleagues. I, I really enjoyed it. Like it was, su it, was, yeah. it was very funny. And it was, it was like, it was an, it was like, it was, for me, it was a very honest sort of discussion about a whole range of things that was refreshing because I don't think I could have had a conversation like that at Goldman Sachs. Right. And it's not because Goldman isn't a great company. It's because you just don't say some things to you, the people you work with or you, and you don't work for. Yeah. Or work for, because you know, that part of your personality isn't necessarily what gets highlighted in the role that you're playing. Whereas here, when you're building a business, everything gets thrown in. It's your, it's your whole, it's your whole self. And some people like that and some people don't. And if you're looking to delegate everything all the time and not sort of, you know, get into the weeds and frankly not get your ass kicked a little bit, like this is not the right industry for you and this is probably not the right company for you and you can't take it personally. Yeah. Right? And there's tons of companies where you can be a little more oh. gated. Are you kidding me? You can mail it in. I mean, Mail it in. It's yeah, a great way to people put People show up to work every day and they punch the, it's a punch card and there are plenty of, plenty of if industries where they're so big, it's just like, don't do anything new. Oh, God, well, who are we talking to? We were talking to somebody <laughs> last night, um, and they were. They, Don't do anything yeah, new. Yeah, like just just sit there. Like, <laughs> like, like, just come in, come into work, and process this. Like he was talking about how he, you know he works for a much larger company now. This is a guy, and he's not directly in the industry, and he's he was talking telling a story about how like he called his IT team, and he like his phone somehow got disconnected, and they were he they were like, why do you need your phone over the weekend? He's like. What are you talking about? Like I, 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 have you ever been in a situation where you, you don't, don't need have to your be, phone for an hour? No, no I mean, I can't even deal with it when the Wi-Fi doesn't work. No, it's on the plane. Completely inconvenient. It's like because you land, it's like six thousand emails, right. and there are like four thousand problems, right? Yep. So, and it's better to just have them continuously come in throughout the flight. Yeah, if you're gonna beat me up, beat me up like <laughs> all day long so I become numb. Don't like don't, don't sucker punch me at the end of the day like when I'm trying to go to sleep, um, which by the way is is not gonna be a good night's sleep anyway because the phone's still gonna ring. Right. Um, but no, there's just you know it's like it is a very special person that I and having experienced what I've experienced as a as kind of the first employee, I have an enormous amount of respect for anybody who guts it out. Guts it out. So if like for me like that's the qualifier. Can you gut um, it out? Can you can you can you maintain your composure and your and your partnership and your appreciation for the people you're with and the appreciation for the people you serve in spite of not being not having a great day in spite of having somebody come up and just drop a big turd on your plate you know mm -hmm. just because they decided today that was going to happen right yeah. and and you just you know it's it's a really funny thing but when you find people like that like it's humbling and I think the last two years in cannabis specifically we had our team offsite recently we had everyone come to Denver and I said to the team I was like the people that are still like sitting here right now at you know same thing we went yeah. we went out to a dinner and I was like the people that are still sitting here I think you have it because we've really gotten beat up <laughs> the last few years I mean like uh, crazy things have happened and so like I think that you're part of the 1% who can gut it out so let's we're almost to the other side of the hump you know yeah. for for me Sometimes I feel a little bit, especially like the last two years, I'll say to our team, like, the people who can make it through this tough time are going to be such stronger businesses and yeah. they're going to thrive. But sometimes I hear myself saying that and I'm like, 
are these is everyone going to believe me? Because I've been saying this for like two or three years. Yeah. So how do you manage to continue to motivate your team in such a hard environment? I've, I, and I'm, I'm genuinely asking yeah. this for like advice because I feel like I can do a better job. I actually heard about someone on the team who was like, you know, Carson's been saying for like three years that things are going to get better and those who stick it out yeah. are going to win big. But like, when the hell is that going to happen? I got I to gotta leave? So I was like, yep. shoot, I must not have been motivating that person good and like well enough, you know? So, look, I, I mean, everybody who's ever worked with things or for things that I, I, I've encountered, I've said the same thing. Like, you're, you're an inspirational leader, but you lead by example. And there's nothing I would ask anybody on the team to do that I wouldn't do myself. And fortunately, because I was there at the beginning, I actually have done most mm-hmm. of those jobs. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I used to shake, you know, sh- sh- I... I I was a cultivator. I was, you know, I tried to figure out how to use the, you know, the, uh, the sort of the extractors. I, you know, I was there when like the one in DC broke and we're staring at it like, you know, like, like Zoolander, like it's still, it's it's in the computer. Um, And so I, I think the most, this is where your, your question about who do you hire really matters because when you hire somebody that, that also shares the same vision, like, you're going to work towards it. I mean, like, you know, I'll, I'll make a sports analogy. And we actually, you know, have a lot of athletes on our yeah. team. Um, you know, like, how many games start off where you're, like, you have, a, a, like, a, a commanding lead and it stays that way? Never, right? If it does, you know, maybe it happens to Messi sometimes. But most times it's a dogfight until the very last minute. There is nothing worth building. There's like nothing the worth creating. the Bills last weekend. Buffalo. Yeah, boom. There you boom. go. Lot I mean, big. You know, Sad. Yeah, but like you, you talk to Elon Musk. Next year. <laughs> next year. It's always next year. Um, but, like, but, you know, like Elon Musk, which was fascinating to me about him, right, is that he's built businesses, but he's actually taken the art of breaking something and experiencing a setback and turning it into the asset. So when they send up a rocket with the intention of exploding it, it's no longer, oh, my Stuff God, it exploded. Right. It's, this is what we want it to happen. Right. We now found out what broke. I feel like that mentality is something that as, as anybody in a leadership position, like when we see something terrible happen or something difficult or something challenging, whatever it is, it's like, I am so glad it happened now in this way so that we can be ahead of it and we can find a solution. And that's I the, like that. Yeah, because, be, I because like framing it that way. You can, you can find an answer to any problem if given enough time. And that, that last piece for us, it's, it's really the board and, and investors that dictates what our timeline looks like. Mm-hmm. And so the, gr- the grateful and a deep appreciation that I have for, for everybody, not just the team, but also the, the, the supporters of the organization. Yeah, and the board and the investors. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, like, again, lay down a track for these people. Why? Because they gave me a shot. Yeah. What world do I live in where I could ever be the CEO of a company that does over half a billion dollars in revenue, and we have thousands of employees, and they're amazing, excuse me, and, and, you know, I get a little, little bit, a little, little worked up there. Um, but the, the, but the fact is like, you know, the experience that I've had has been a series of fortunate, amazing moments that I actually, we you know, we always get around like, this is going to be a great book someday because you can't believe the stuff we've like, we've encountered every single day. It's compressed into a very, very kind of small, small, it's sort of timeline in, in the grand scheme of things. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's a fair question and a really intelligent question because how do I keep people motivated? I just don't, frankly, I, I, you know, I don't stop, right? And if I do, like, it's a bad day. Like, I, like I just don't, I can't. Stamina. Aff- yeah, I just don't I, don't, I don't feel like I have earned the right to slow down. 
uh, or to take or to mail it in or do any of these things because everyone else is working so hard and that inspires me to work harder. And when you think about it, like anytime I'm like, oh man, I just kind of want to stop for the day, I think, what are our competitors doing out there right now? Like, yep. I could be doing more, and I do feel like that's something that a lot of people in your shoes have in common. Like, they yep. just don't give up. And so I always say to, you know, people. I can't believe people ask me for advice, but in the off times that they do, I'm like, look, I, I don't have like that many secrets. I just will say work harder than everybody else. Yeah. It like is the one thing, even everyone that came on this podcast today, you know, the, the most the most successful people in cannabis are coming through here on this podcast. And I mean, these guys have all been listening, the team here. The one thread that everyone has in common is that they just don't stop yeah. because they want to be the best that badly. Um, I know we're, we're, we're coming up on time. We're going to go five minutes over just to let everybody know. I want to talk about the... Rebrand. Oh, yeah. So, like, walk me through it. I was super surprised when I woke up and looked at my phone one day and saw, the, you know, Columbia Care is now the cannabis. So yeah. how did that, how did this all come about? I mean, I love it. I just want to hear about <sighs> so, what look, made this happen. It's, it's a really, uh, a very natural story. Um, Columbia Care, actually, I came up with. And I came up with it because back when we used to apply for licenses, what I realized is that every state, has a Columbia. So there's a Columbia, Maryland, there's a Columbia, New York, there's a Columbia, Ohio. Like, there are Columbias in no every way. single state. Yeah. So when we got to apply, we got to apply as a local, kind of oh. a quasi-local entity. Super um, smart. And also, it was medical back then. So we kind of looked at the landscape. You know, there are a lot of names out there that wouldn't sit well with regulators back in 2015. Um, and so we had to find a name that wasn't going to be a detriment to our application process. The... Um, it was a really important first step because I think it's established sort of the, the tenets of quality and manufacturing and thinking about our products as a medicine rather than just something that's recreational. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I just mean that when you take a medicine, you have an expectation that it is a, at the absolute peak of quality. And so whether it's an adult use product or medical product, it should be there, right? We owe that to, our, to, our, to the communities we serve. And so when I think about um, sort of over the past five years, how the business has changed, how the market has changed, how things have become more adult use oriented, we began rolling out the cannabis as a retail store. And we always wanted to break apart our product brands from our retail setting. So it was a really informative period of time um, where we were able to see how our customers, our patients, our employees interacted with cannabis. And what we realized is that being unapologetic, being exactly who we want it to be, right? When you're looking for expertise, where do you go? You go to, you go to the cannabis, right? Um, and, you know, not to mention the swag is very cool. Yeah, the swag but, looks, we got the swag. Yeah, I mean, it's, it rocks. It's almost as cool as ours. Oh, it is. Actually, I really like yours. Thank you. I really like it. Everyone's awesome. biased towards their own. Yeah. If you, and if you're not biased towards your own brand, you should probably do a rebrand. I agree with that. You I know? agree with that. And, you know, Columbia Care was great for what it was, but cannabis is where we're going. Yeah. We, we don't have to get rid of Columbia Care for medical products or something like that. But the, the cannabis resonated with our, the, the communities. It resonated with our employees a lot. Um, and it resonated with sort of the, the, let's call it the cultural values of where we want it to be. Um, and so for us, that rebrand was something the team was very enthusiastic to do. Everyone at the organization was supportive. And from a recruitment perspective, from a, just, a, just an awareness perspective, like, it's like onomatopoeia, right? It's, it is what it sounds like it is. And so the same thing, like, what are we? We're cannabis, right? We're, what is our company? It's cannabis. Where do you go if you really want sort of the best products and you want to have, like, a really interesting conversation about X, Y, Z? You go to cannabis. And I, I like, love it from a recruitment standpoint. I'm excited to work with Janet more yep. next year to help yep. you guys find some people. So my last final question is we're, you know, we're sitting here in November 2023. 20, I hope that 
next year, November 2024, you'll come back on the podcast. We'll see where we caught up. But I'm doing this kind of uh, crystal balling, and then next year we'll see where, where we're right. But, okay, we're sitting here. It's um, November 2024. What do you think has happened in the cannabis industry next year, your crystal ball predictions? So, I, and this is on the record, so, like, next year we'll see I know, if you're right. This there's is a scorecard. There's a scorecard. There's a scorecard. So I'm going to – look, I actually try not to be a political prognosticator because I'm terrible at it. Okay. Um, but I think we have – Schedule three affirmed, um, and I think for the right reasons. Please. I think yeah, I think New York is a, is a up and coming sort of attractive cannabis market for operators for the first time ever. Um, I think you have additional states making um, making decisions, uh, conservative states making decisions to convert to medical and then adult use. I think you have Congress at, on the off the heels of a Schedule three move begin to think about sort of doing something at the legislative level to kind of crystallize some of the loose ends that have not yet been tied up on cannabis as a, as a Schedule Three product. I think you have um, the first movement towards a capital markets normalization. So I think the risk profile associated with investing in cannabis changes dramatically. And I think you begin to see cannabis sort of move into a frame of reference that is much more akin to a normal industry. And I think you start seeing strategic partners come in. So, like, I think the next... 12, really good year. Yeah, I think it's a very... We're going to be set, fired up next year. We're going to have a yeah. way bigger suite if all that happens. Uh, you two, know what? Two bedrooms. Don't suite, do it. Guys. Don't do it. Just, I'm kidding. Just, <laughs> keep, keep, keep the, this is, like, this <laughs> is the perfect size. This is size. perfect. Yeah, we don't need... No, we, we don't need the room next door. No. We, we, you know, well, we might have to do two podcasts at the same time. We'd be so that busy. That would be bold. Yeah. That would be bold. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, so, I think, it's, like, I, think it's a, I think it's a seminal year. Um, and I think it's more so than we've seen in the past five, six years. And I think that's why this year is going to catch so many people by surprise in a positive way. Um, and what I hope it means is that a lot of people who are reluctant to come into cannabis, to think about it as a career, to think about it as an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, I, I like to think that those fears and concerns are, are mitigated somewhat so that the, the pool and the universe of, of supporters of what we're trying to do actually expands into, right. into new ground. And so many new jobs, too. If you think about 280 going away and yeah. all of that capital, that cash flow that could go back into the businesses. I mean, as you know, I'm sure one of your largest expenses is labor. Yep. And so to be able to hire more people, bring in exceptional talent, like we're super optimistic that next year could be the biggest job creator. Yep. The, you know, the, the most jobs created in a year for cannabis. So hopefully we can do a lot of great hiring together and help awesome. keep, keep building the, the team. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome to have you, and I can't wait to have you again. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.